All right, I think most of you are aware that our country is in these things called presidential primaries, right? Just uh, had the primary here in uh, Pennsylvania uh, last Tuesday. And you guys know how it works. So, so one party has their candidate and the other party has their candidate. And then they go to the general election. When you get to the general election, you're really trying to focus on these states that you want to win. And, and each state has electoral votes. And so uh, you'll see pundits standing before a map of the United States, right? And they'll say, this state is red. This state is all in for this candidate. Uh, they're they're going to, historically, they voted for this uh, party. They're going to vote again. This, um, these, these states are blue, and, and they're going to vote for this particular candidate. But here are some states that aren't colored in, right? These are the, what do they call them? The, not purple. Um, <laughs> the, the battleground states. The battleground states. These are too close to call. These are up for grabs. These are, the, these are the ones that the candidates are going to have to do a lot of work in to win those states, right? Well, today as we continue our series through Genesis, we're going to consider a person who, if you mapped out his heart, it would look like a series of battleground states. You just never know what he's going to do. His, his life is like too close to call. It's not all in for God. It's not against God. It's just right there in the middle, just straddling the fence. In Scripture, he's said to be a righteous man. He, he knows God. He's part of the covenant community, no doubt about it. But, but his whole life is just too close to call. If you would put the spiritual journey on a continuum uh, like this, and here's where a person comes to Christ, on this side, here is the non-Christian. That's the person who has yet to come to the time in their life when they realize they're a sinner. There's no way they can save themselves. They tr- they've not trusted yet in Jesus Christ as the only way to have a relationship with God. On this side of the cross are the believers. Here are people who have done that. They have realized, I can't save myself. I'm a sinner. But Jesus came to do for me what I can't do for myself. I've trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to have a relationship with the living God. Well, today, the guy we're going to follow in Scripture, he's like right, right there. Just barely. Just in. A somewhat Christian. A barely Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 says this. Describes a person as saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. When they get to heaven, they're going to smell like smoke. They just got in. Narrowly made it. It's not the way we want our life to be described, is it? Smoky Christian. Here's what I want to do today. I want to tell the story of this barely Christian. It's found in... Uh, Genesis chapter 18, you can turn there. And um, you're going to note, we're going to look at the battleground states of his heart. Now we're going to get personal and look at the battleground states that we deal with. Now you'll notice we uh, skipped, for the time being, Genesis 17. If you've been following along, we skipped Genesis 17. There's good reason for that, just as a spoiler alert. Today's uh, sermon ends up at Sodom and Gomorrah. Next week is Mother's Day. And I just didn't feel like that was appropriate <laughs> for Mother's Day. Okay, you agree with me? And so we're going to get back to Sarah and all that next week in chapter 17 
but today it ends up a, a little differently. In, uh, in chapter 17, three men came and they are visited Abraham and Sarah. We're going to talk about that uh, next week. And they brought them some great news. But then in chapter 18, verse 16, look at it. When the three men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Let's uh, let's find out where we are here in Scripture. Uh, Here is uh, Israel. Here's Hebron. Remember that Abraham was by the trees of Mamre here in Hebron, uh, just um, west of the Dead Sea. The area of Sodom and Gomorrah, made up of about five cities altogether, is thought to be in this area down here, right to the south of the Dead Sea. Now, just a couple weeks ago, we were there at the lowest place on earth, and you can see a picture uh, of the Dead Sea right here, the lowest place on earth, and you can go in, and you can literally float. You just sit back, and you can float because of the density of the salt, and the mud at the bottom is really good for your skin, or so they say, and so uh, you see some people here uh, putting mud all over themselves, and we're going to zero in on a couple of them because I know these are your favorite people. Scott Arvey, our executive pastor, and Washington, there is your campus pastor, Zeb, Zeb Thomas. So uh, you can be proud of those pictures. And those guys, we hardly recognized them. They looked so young uh, when they came out of the Dead Sea. So these three men are there. They're visiting Abraham. They look down, and, um, and one of them, we're going to see, and this is interesting, three are introduced to us as angels in chapter 17. But we're going to see one of them is not an angel. In fact, he is described beginning in chapter 18, verse 17, as the Lord. And we talked about this last week. The the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord, Lord Yahweh, Lord all caps, Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, I believe, is the pre-incarnate Christ. And so here, I believe... We have an interaction between Christ, pre-incarnate Christ, and Abraham. Uh, Some fascinating dialogue going on here. Look at chapter uh, 18, verse 17. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through him, for I've chosen him so that he will direct the children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. I love verse 17. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Here is a conversation going on between a person, between God and a person who knows God. There is intimacy. There is a covenant relationship. Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know your master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father. I've made known to you. We're in this thing together. Psalm 25, 9, he guides the humble in what is right and he teaches them their ways. I love Psalm 25, 14. The Lord confides in those. Isn't that great? Shall I hide from Abraham? What I'm going to tell Abraham what I'm going to do here. The Lord confides in those who fear him and makes his covenant known to them. Look at verse 20. Then the Lord said, 
The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. You remember back in Genesis chapter 4 when Cain killed Abel, uh, God said to Abel, your brother's blood is crying out to me. Here, the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah is crying out. Now, it's interesting. God puts himself in human terms, anthropomorphism. I'll work on that word later, but the anthropomorphism, right? Puts human characteristics to himself. Now, why does he do that? God knows what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's all-knowing. God doesn't need to go down there. He's all-present. Why would he do that? Because he's showing to us, he's speaking to us in human terms. He's speaking to us so we will understand more clearly. He loves us that much that he wants us to understand clearly. And he's telling us, I'm not going to do anything arbitrary. I'm not going to do anything capricious. I'm going to go down and check it out myself. He's putting himself in our language so so we can best understand. So the two angels continue on to Sodom and Gomorrah, but Abraham remains standing by the Lord. Now, Abraham, you remember from past uh, sermons, he has some relatives in Sodom, remember? Lot, his nephew, and their family. And so he begins to interact with the Lord. And he says, you know, wait a second, Lord. Um, let's think about this. Look at verse 23, 18:23. What if 50 righteous people are in the city? Will you really sweep away, sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? Now, you could do a whole series on, on prayer here. Abraham speaking to God. And he's speaking boldly. And he is, he is reminding God of his attributes because God can't go back on who he is, right? And so he says, will you really sweep it away with 50, 50 righteous people there? Far be it from you to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, exclamation point. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Underline that. Will not the judge of the earth do all what is right? Again, we don't have time to go through that. But you could do a whole study of prayer just on those. Praying the attributes of God back to him. Sometimes we don't know what God wants us to do. Sometimes we don't know the answers. But we know who God is. And we can not remind him who he is. But, but tell him who he is as we, as we pray to him. So God says, okay, 50 righteous people. Not going to do it. I won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for 50 righteous people. Look at verse 27. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous is five less than 50? How about 45? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. I want you to see something here. The angel of the Lord, remember, the Lord so far has been described as Lord with all caps, and that's the word Yahweh, the covenant God, the relation God, the God who has this interaction with us. But now, as Abraham appeals to God, he calls him by a different name. He doesn't call him 
May I be so bold to speak to the Lord. He doesn't call him Yahweh anymore. He calls him Adonai. Why would he do that? Well, the word Adonai is the, the great master, the great God, the God who has all authority. That's what Abraham is appealing to, right? God's authority. Based on your authority over all things and the fact that you're righteous and the fact that you are the judge over all. Would you really destroy it for 45 people? God says, no, I won't. Abraham says, well, let me be bold again. How about 40 people? No. How about 30 people? No. You can see Abraham doing the math and he said, how many people are in Lot's family here, right? How about 20 people? Finally, look at verse 32. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 people can be found there? And he answered, for the sake of 10 people, I will not destroy it. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. The story of Lot is actually a, a part of a larger story. The, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned many times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. It, it was a region of the world characterized by grotesque sin, by consistent unrepentance, by rebellion against God, and God destroyed them. Now, that's a lesson for us all. Sodom and Gomorrah in Scripture serves as a warning. God is a righteous judge. He does not allow sin to go unpunished. Even for the barely believer. Even for all believers. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he also will reap. There are consequences to sin. Sometimes it happens in this life. Sometimes it, for the non-believer, it happens in the next, finally. Jude chapter 1 verse 7 says this, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. They serve as an example of those who never repent and turn to God. So this story is about a region, but the story is very personal too. It's a story about Lot. This guy we can hardly figure out in Scripture. His whole heart a battleground states. Everything, we, he's never all for God. He's never all against God. He's just kind of in the middle. He's this smoky Christian, this barely Christian. Second Peter says it like this, a righteous man, he was righteous because God made him righteous, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of lawlessness, and then he puts it in parentheses, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. He was tormented in his soul because he couldn't figure out whose side he was on half the time. So here's what I want to do. Let's use Lot's life to evaluate our own. Let's make this very personal. Take out your sermon notes. We're going to go through five battleground states that we see in Lot's life. And then you're going to, we can evaluate ourselves, how we're doing in those battleground states. Okay, five battleground states and then some uh, evaluation. Here's the first one, the state of compromise. The state of compromise. 
In Genesis chapter 12, God told, remember, uh, we, we cover this in, in earlier sermons, God told Abraham to leave his land, uh, go up. He, he stayed in Haran for a while. When his father died, then he went down to the promised land. He took with him his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot. Remember that story? And they go down, and they're together for, for a while. And, uh, and Scott actually preached uh, this in Genesis chapter 13. He did a great job in laying this out for us, that the, the land got too, um, they had too many possessions to stay together. The land couldn't support them as they stayed together. So, so chapter 13, verse uh, 10, Lot looked up, and he saw the whole plain of the Jordan. It was well watered like the garden of God, like the land of Egypt toward Zor, and then Moses, remember, is writing this after the fact, so he reminds the people this was before the, the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan. Abraham said, I'm going to look over here. You just choose, Lot. You choose whatever land you want, and I'll take the other land. It's up to you. you. You get first choice. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, and he, there's the telling word, he pitched his tent near Sodom, and here's why that was a dangerous thing to do. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So Lot was willing to put himself and his family right next to a place that was wicked and sinning against God. He pitched his tent there. Why would he do that? Because you can make a lot of money there. That's where the water is. That's where the fertile ground is. By the time we get to Genesis 19, we find Lot sitting at the gate. That means he has become a judge in the city. By the time we get to Genesis 19, Lot didn't just pitch his tent near Sodom. He built the house in Sodom. It's a slippery slope, isn't it? When you begin to compromise, a state of compromise, when you begin to compromise, you just, you just do the one little step after another. So here's some questions. Christian teens, are you compromising your standards for Christ, for acceptance and popularity? Christian singles, are you compromising your purity for sexual pleasure, or the acceptance of one who says, if you really love me, you'll give yourself to me. Christian spouses, are you flirting anywhere with an affair, compromising and sacrificing your marriage for someone else willing to compromise and sacrifice their marriage? Boy, affairs are crazy things, aren't they? They cheated once. How can you ever trust them to cheat again? You want to commit to someone like that? Christian businessmen and Christian businesswomen, are you compromising your integrity and honesty any place in the, work, in the workplace? Christian parents, are you compromising your family by your workaholic tendencies, substituting consistent presence with them and mentoring of them and interaction uh, with them with the rationalization of providing them another trip and then all the stuff they need. Christians, are you compromising giving to the Lord? Giving what's left over. You know the average evangelical Christian like us? You know how much they give? 3%. 3%. 
Are we as materialistic as our unsaved friends and neighbors? So under the state of compromise, circle one. How you doing? Between you and God, be honest with yourself, own it. No compromise in my life. By God's grace, I can say I'm living a life of no compromise or compromising. I'm in the state of compromise or constant battleground state. Too close to call. Mark it on your notes. Second state is a state of contradiction. A state of contradiction. Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 45, 49 through 50 says this, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before the Lord. Isaiah chapter 3 verse 9 says, not only did they do detestable things, they paraded their detestable sins before God. They were proud of their sins. One of their sins, not the only one, but one was the sin of unbridled homosexuality. In fact, we get the word sodomy from Sodom. It was the only, it wasn't the only sin of Sodom. There were many. It was the last sin that we read about before their destruction. Chapter 19 uh, verse 1. Two angels arrived and Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gateway of the city. And when he saw them, he got up to meet them, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet, and you can spend the night, and go uh, on your way early in the morning. And they said, no, we'll just stay here at the town square. Lot knew what happened at the town square. And so in verse 3, he insisted so strongly that they did uh, go, that they did go with him, and he entered the house. He prepared meal for them, baking bread with yeast, and they ate. Before they uh, had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, this is not a generational thing, surrounded the house. They called out to Lot, where are the men who came with you tonight? Bring them out so we can have sex with them. Now, what happens next? That's bad. That's bad, right? What happens next is unbelievable. Look at verse 6. Lot went outside to meet them, and he shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do such a wicked thing. You don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them whatever you want. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Unbelievable. In the Middle East in that day, hospitality was something to be protected. You held the protection of your guest very high, but this is beyond the pale. This is sick hypocrisy, just unimaginable, just inexcusable. No, don't abuse my guest, just abuse my daughters. You see, that's what happens when a Christian gets too cozy with sin. We lose perspective. It may not be something as as blatant as that, but it happens nonetheless. We get all worked up over one sin by blinking at another. So in our day and age, we say homosexuality, that's the, that was the sin of Sodom. That was one of Sodom's sins. Homosexuality, that's the great thing in our nation. While people who say that will live in as materialistic lifestyle as everybody else, life of contradictions. We get all worked up over this, over some cause. We're a zealot for this cause, and yet there are family members we haven't forgiven. 
We get all worked up on this area of theology. And then we only give 3%. A life of contradictions. You know, Jesus, Jesus had all the time in the world for the woman at the well, right? For the prostitute. For the sinner who came to him. He didn't have any time at all for religious hypocrites. The word hypocrite is a Greek word that means play actor. It comes right from the theater. Pretender. Contradiction. Woe to you, Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. You're so legalistic about this one area, but you've neglected the more important things of the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the other. You blind guide, you strain at a gnat, but you swallow a camel. You see, the, 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 the smoky Christian, that barely Christian, is prone to double standards. As Jesus said, you, you, you're pointing out a little speck of sawdust in everyone else's eye. We've got this big plank sticking out of your own eye. So how are you doing? In the, how are you doing? How are we doing in the, in, in the state of double standards and contradiction, hypocrisy? Would you say integrity? You know what? By God's grace, um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm whole. Circle it. Own it. Or got a few contradictions going on. Or maybe it's just it's too close to call. Okay. Three more states. You guys with me? Glad we didn't do this on Mother's Day, right? <laughs> State of irrelevance is the next one. State of irrelevance. Chapter 19, verse 12. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? We're going we're gonna to destroy and we're going to... We need to get you out of here. Do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, sons or daughters or anyone else in the city belong to you. Get them out of here because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. And check out what happens in verse 14. So Lot, he goes out and he speaks to his sons-in-laws who were pledged to be married to his daughters. He said, hurry and, and get out of this place because the Lord's about to destroy it. See the exclamation mark. He's worked up. Got to go. We got to go. We got to go. But his sons-in-laws, what? Thought it was joking. Thought he was kidding. It wasn't one of those, oh, we thought you were kidding, but you're really serious? Let's go. See, Lot had just become spiritually irrelevant. Lot, you're telling us about you? You are telling us about God? You? You? are telling us that God's been speaking to you? Serious? Eh, forget it. Tells you a lot about Lot's daughters as well, doesn't it? Picking those guys. And it tells you about the no respect they had for their future father-in-law. A loss of spiritual standing. A loss of spiritual influence. How are you doing in the battleground state of irrelevance. Do people take you seriously when you speak? Does you, does, does your lot, when, when you share the gospel with someone or you, when you say, I'll pray for you, or when you put forth a spiritual thought, do people say, you? Yeah, that's surprising. Seriously? 
I've heard the jokes you tell. I've heard the language you use. I, I see the stuff you do. You're going you're to pray for me? How you doing? Spiritual influence? You say, no, by God's grace, I carry some spiritual weight. Spiritual irrelevance? Or maybe, again, a battleground state, just too close to call. Here's the fourth one, state of comfort. Lot had become very comfortable in Sodom. First, he just pitched his tent near Sodom. Then he moved in to Sodom, built a, built a house. And he's so comfortable, look what happens in chapter 19, verse 15. When the coming, with the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll, you're going to be swept away when the city is punished. And look at verse 16. When he hesitated, the word means he lingered, he tarried. He says, I got a lot of stuff here. Don't know if I want to leave all this. Worked pretty hard for this. I got it pretty good here. When he lingered, when he tarried, when he hesitated, the men had to grasp his hand. <clears throat> and his wives and daughters were in the same boat. They didn't want to go. And he had to grasp the hands of his wife and two daughters and led them out of safety or out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. Are you, are you getting too comfortable here? Scripture tells us we are aliens and foreigners. That, that, that we are not just to fit in and, and be like everyone else and do the things everyone else does. You can't follow all the ways of the world and follow Jesus Christ at the same time. So how are you doing in this state of comfort? You know, when, when a person's really comfortable here, really not a big desire for heaven, is there? And why do you want to go to heaven? You got everything here? State of comfort. How are we doing? Circle it. I'm a foreigner here. I, I know this is not my home. Or I'm fitting in pretty well. Or uh, too close to call. It's a battleground state. All right, one more. The state of, of spiritual legacy. Uh, breaking, breaking news. You ready? Everyone in here is going to die. Okay? Just to, to add to this encouraging sermon, I wanted to share that <laughs> with you. And, and when we die, what are we going to leave? So let's talk about the state of spiritual legacy. Look at verse 19, or verse 23, rather, chapter uh, uh, 19. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land, and then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah, from the Lord out of heaven, and then he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities, also the vegetation of the land. But look at verse 26. But Lot's wife, what? Just look back, man. I don't know if I want to go or not. I don't like what I'm leaving. Even though sulfur burning down on raining from the Lord, she looked back and she became a pillar of salt. She became a column of salt. They say today, that we didn't get to see it when we were there, but the 
south end of the Dead Sea. There are these grotesque salt formations there. Became a pillar of salt. She, uh, she wasn't with him, which maybe tells you about the person he married. Some decisions he had made earlier in his life. Jesus uses Lot's wife. Jesus said, hey, this isn't some fable that, you know, we, we were just teaching our kids. This is the real stuff. Jesus said in Luke 17, remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Remember Lot's wife. She looked back. And then there were Lot's daughter. Boy, I, wish that, I just wish, as bad as that is, I wish the story ended there. And then we could sing a song and, and call it a day. But it gets even worse. Um, look at verse 30. Lot and his daughters left Zor and settled in the mountains. Now, first of all, I didn't have time to, to do it earlier, but that's an interesting statement because when the angels told Lot to leave, they said, run to the mountains. And Lot said, I don't know if I can make it to the mountains. Let me go to this little town of Zor. Zor, Zor means little. Let me go to Zor and stay there. And so the angel said, okay, fine. Well, now he gets to Zor and he's afraid in Zor, so he runs to the mountains. Again, this is a contradiction in Lot's life. He had two daughters, and they lived in a cave now in the mountains. One day, the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old. There is no man around here to lie with us, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then lie with him, preserve our family line through their father. And that's exactly what they did. One night, the older daughter. Another night... Uh, the younger uh, daughter. Uh, one commentator says it this way, to be seduced by one's own daughters into uh, an incestuous relationship is bad enough. Uh, not to know that the seduction has occurred is worse. To fall prey to the whole plot a second time is worse than ever. Notice what happens uh, in uh, 36. The daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. The word Moab means father, roughly. Um, he's the father of the Moabites today, Moses is telling the people. The younger daughter also had a son. She named him Ben-Ami, uh, which means um, uh, a relative of my nearest kin. So she just played on the words there. No one else would know it, but every time she called him Ben-Ami, the dad would know it. Um, they became the Ammonites today. And if you look at the rest of Scripture, the Moabites and the Ammonites are, are, are grave enemies of the Israelites. They're always having battles. The Moabites uh, and the Ammonites uh, lived in the area that's Jordan now. In fact, Google Ammon, the city in Jordan, Ammon, the city in Jordan, and that comes from the Ammonites. No Moabites, that mountain country in, in Jordan. They were enemies and have been enemies through centuries. And just until the last 15 or 20 years, there's a little bit of peace between Jordan and, and Israel. That's the legacy. It's the legacy of Lot. The legacy of Lot, Moabites and Ammonites. How you doing?
in a legacy area. If you were to die today, would you say, by God's grace, uh, by God's grace, strong legacy? Or um, a little shaky, I'm not for sure. Or just too close to call. Well, how'd you do? How'd we do? Are, 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 are we, uh, how are we doing in those battleground states? Are we living as a, a smoky Christian-like lot? Just, just in, just barely. Little fruit. How does God deal with uh, smoky Christians? A couple things. We learn in this story that God is righteous. He's not going to lower His standards for you. He is perfect in all he does, and he expects obedience in every area. He has saved you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, barely Christian. Jesus died for you. You're in his family. He's empowered you by the Holy Spirit. And he expects you to live in obedience. He's righteous. We also learn from the story that God is just, Right? He doesn't let sin go unpunished. There are consequences to sin. When we sin in this life, there are consequences to that. God disciplines those He loves, Hebrews tells us. We're not a child of His if, we, if He doesn't discipline. He doesn't love us enough to discipline us. That means we're His child. So if we're going to live in sin as a barely Christian... And let's be honest, we're going to expect some discipline in our life. God does not want us to stay there. He is righteous. He is just. And then there's one more thing. We find it back in uh, chapter 19, verse 16. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and his daughters and led them to safely, safety, or led them out of the city. For the Lord was what? Merciful. He is righteous, he's just, and he is merciful. You don't have to live as a barely Christian. You don't have to live as a smoky Christian. Hebrews 4, 6 says, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So maybe your prayer needs to be this. God, you know my heart. can't hide anything from you. You know my life has a little, a few too many contradictions. You know, my life is a little too comfortable. And I got to be really honest with you. I don't mind it. I don't mind living, pitching my tear near Sodom. I like the comfort. I'm just being honest with you, God. I like the comfort. I know you saved me, but I like the comfort. A lot of things in my life i got to work on. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to do a a Genesis 19.16 on me. I need you to grab my hand. And I need you to pull me out. Because I know if I continue on this route, I will not be the believer you call me to be. I will not leave the legacy you've called me to leave. I will not have the influence 
on my family and friends that I know you desire me to have. I will live a life of contradiction before others, and, and they're, they're going to be confused at the, as to what the Christian life is really about. So I need you to take my hand and pull me out of the situation. Maybe today that's your prayer.